when the replay official did not stop I, the game. I'm not going to comment on that. I'll get fined for the rest of my life if I get commented on that. We had a great belief in our locker room. We didn't have to do anything special, just be us. I was so proud of this team. We had so much fun, it ought to be illegal. Any idiot can say whatever they want, and they usually do, and they're negative. And all I see, to me, I've gotten to a point now when I see things like that, I feel sorry that those people feel that way, that their lives don't have the purpose, the passion, and the excitement and the enjoyment that some of us do. Our purpose is to win, make no mistake about it, but it's to win the right way. And our goal, our stated goal, is going to be to win the Sunbelt, uh, sorry, to win the SEC East. Talk about the reception you received from the fan, fan base. Did you ever think you'd be kissing and hugging babies at the tarmac when you got the point? Um, a lot better than another tarmac experience that I had. <laughs> I didn't think of it. It was like, like an anniversary or something like that. We're coming. We're coming. And we ain't backing down. I said in my press conference back in December that I didn't feel like there was anything in South Carolina that we lacked to be a championship program, that we had everything that we needed. I am even more convinced of that now after being there for seven months. Welcome in to the latest episode of that SEC podcast. I'm your host, Michael Bratton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter, and I'm flying solo for this episode. Cousin Shane couldn't make it for this episode, but don't worry, got a terrific guest lined up. We got Ben McKee of the Swain Event and VolQuest.com. He's going to hop on the line here, talk a little Tennessee Vols football, but uh, hey, we got a lot of news to get to around the league, and you know, before we get to that, I just want to say I you know, really appreciate all the uh, support that uh, we've received since going to the video format. It has been a struggle, believe me. And I'm not talking about my face here, even though I went to the uh, Nashville Grand Prix over the weekend and I picked a hell of a time to get uh, toasted like a lobster here. I I mean, I'm sweating under these lights. I just turned them on. So, yeah, it's a hot one in here and uh, (laughs) the sunburn's not helping. But I am appreciative of uh, each and every one of you that uh, have been giving us positive buzz about the YouTube. Though That channel's been blowing up. So, again, if you're just listening to the pod, we're on video now and... uh, Uploading them segment by segment. I was up to about 1 a.m. editing the long version of the podcast. I don't think I'm going to be doing that anymore, to be honest with you. Just going to be sending out clips, video clips, that is, on the YouTube channel until I learn how to do video editing. (laughs) So I'm excited about uh, all that. I really appreciate all the uh, support we've received. And uh, like I said, hey, I've quit my job. So this is my job now. 100% focused on the podcast. If if you haven't already, check out our website, thatsecpodcast.com. That's going to become a, a big thing this season with us as I figure out how to manage that as well on top of all this other stuff we've been doing. But, hey, if you haven't by now, give us that five-star written review. Subscribe to us also on YouTube. That'll be a great way to keep this show going. Uh, otherwise, we're not going to make it. <laughs> Let's get into the action here. Let's kick it around the league. Now let's go around the league. My my daughters said something about me wearing a visor and need to put on a hat because I'm getting bald. So uh, so I'm going to wear a hat from here on out. I mean, if you look over the next six years, I think we played Miami three times, Florida State six times, South Florida three times, Mississippi State once. 
So who's the SEC teams? You know, I mean, I don't think I think it's an injustice for the kids. They should, we should mix those games up, and you should, um, you know, play more teams from the West. Why, why don't you start calling around and see if you can get somebody else to play us, and we'll play them. Right, we'll play anybody you can get to play us. In Louisiana, hold on a second. Hey guys, hey, I'm having a press conference, okay? Thank you. Let's start here in Vanderbilt, where we don't have an update from the team, but uh, I thought uh, the Commodore fans would appreciate this, and hell, maybe even the, the rest of the SEC, because the Commodores got upgrades to their uniforms, and they're looking pretty good. So uh, let's kick it over to the promotional video that Vanderbilt released here on Monday. So how about that? If you're watching on YouTube, you can actually see what we're talking about here. If not, you're missing out. We'll tweet it out for uh, those of you that maybe are not on the YouTube just yet. But uh, uh, pretty nice uniforms, Clark Lee area. The Clark Lee era seems to be going off pretty well here where they're getting style. They're, they're playing up Nashville. They're playing up being a Commodore. And I think these uniforms are a great start with uh, training camp there in Nashville now underway. All right, but the, hey, the big news. This actually broke when we were recording last episode so we didn't get a chance to talk about it till now let's kick it on down to athens oh, dog, sick him. <laughs> special teams coordinator scott cochran of course well known for being uh, the alabama strength coach after one season there you know they're not saying he's off the team he's just away from the team not a lot of details on what exactly is going on there i believe the first person to report that news was seth emerson of the athletics so let's give him credit for breaking that news no really news otherwise than that kirby smart has confirmed that that has happened scott cochran stepped away for health reasons is what they've cited and in the place of uh, scott cochran not being with georgia during camp they've elevated will muschamp to that i guess technically a special teams coordinator role whatever you call it but certainly he's going to be heavily focused on helping uh, kirby smart and dan landing on that defensive side of the ball much was made of that Will Muschamp hire in Athens when he came down to Georgia. So here you go. You're already starting to see it. I mean, one assistant, for whatever reason, not available there in Athens. And who do they go to? A two-time SEC head coach, multiple-time coordinator, one, at least one national championship as a coordinator, maybe two. I, I, think, I think maybe just one for Will Muschamp. But, hell, that's a hell of an 11th man to, to call up into uh, the Georgia coaching staff. And yet again, that proves why Kirby Smart and Georgia, you know, they really uh, landed a good one there in Muschamp. You literally could not do much better as, a, as an analyst than Will Muschamp. And now he's on the full-time staff. We'll see how long that holds 
because I would imagine Scott Cochran, if he comes back, and given the nature of this, given the timing of it, that certainly is, is not a certainty. You know, I would think Will Muschamp would go back to his analyst role if that happens, but hey, who knows? He may be a full-timer for the rest of the season. And uh, one other thing here for Georgia, starting center Warren Erickson expected to miss a few weeks of practice with a hand injury. Now, the offensive line, you know, I've been hyping up Georgia all offseason. The offensive line is, I don't want to call it an issue. That may be too strong of a word, but because they have massive talent. They got Matt Luke, who we all know knows what he's doing when it comes to uh, offensive line coaching. But that is a concern there, that the, the offensive line. That could be basically the only position group I see that holds Georgia back this offseason. Now a key piece, start and center. Got that rapport with JT Daniels out of the lineup. Hopefully he'll be back uh, in time for Clemson. But he better be because that's all I hear every time I hear people talking about Clemson is this defensive line they got. And with a, that being somewhat of a question mark there in Athens, they're going to be tested right out the gate. Multiple first-rounders. People are saying, of course, it's funny how there's 80 and 90 first-rounders every offseason, people are suggesting. And then the, the draft rolls around. It doesn't quite pan out that way. But nonetheless, loaded defensive line here for Clemson. So we'll have to see uh, how Georgia's offensive line stacks up with potentially their starting center not in the lineup there in the season opener in Charlotte. More bad news here. Let's kick it on down to Fayetteville real quick where offensive lineman Ricky Stromberg, another center here. He's injured himself, according to Tom Murphy of Arkansas Democratic Gazette. Good news is, though, not a torn ligament, according to Murphy. Uh, Timeline for Ricky Stromberg's return, uncertain at this time. But that's another one, man, where, you know, you got to have confidence in uh, Sam Pittman and company to get that offensive line in shape, get them ready for the season. But they've lost their offensive line coach, Brad Davis, of course, off to LSU. They promoted uh, the, the tight ends coach, shifted him over to offensive line. So I'm not saying that, the, that there's an issue with the offensive line coaching. Certainly not the case with Sam Pittman running the ship there. But that is another unit that, uh, you know, I think, you know, some games held Arkansas back last year. The offensive line was not up to Sam Pittman's standard. Of course, that's an incredibly high standard. So I'm not saying they don't have talent or anything. But I don't even think the, the bodies matched exactly what Sam Pittman was wanting. And that's something that uh, has changed this offseason, according to all indications out of Fayetteville. So Arkansas is returning, I think, their top nine offensive linemen. So this is a deep unit. But uh, Bisson Ricky Stromberg would be a blow if he's out for any significant portion. Let's hope uh, by at, at the very latest get him back by that Texas game week two. You're going to need to be at full capacity when the Longhorns come to town. So uh, as soon as there's an update on Ricky Stromberg, we'll provide it. But uh, that's the latest news there out of Fayetteville. All right, next, let's kick it on down to Columbia, where some interesting stuff here to come out of uh, South Carolina as, uh, of course, Kevin Harris, you know, they've been saying not a big deal, minor back procedure this offseason. He's not yet practicing with the team. And what does that mean for Marshawn Lloyd? I mean, a guy we all wanted to see last season, unfortunately didn't happen due to the injury. These are some really good comments here from Marshawn Lloyd on Monday about uh, stepping up, trying to fill in. But I love the fact that, uh, you know, he, every time I've heard this guy speak, you would never know he's a five-star, one of the top running back prospects in the nation, got all this uh, praise and adulation and all expectations. But it's not that he doesn't have expectations, but he just seems like a very humble guy. And while it sounds like he'll have an increased workload, especially out 
right out the gate here in the season with uh, Kevin Harris potentially limited, which may not, in fairness, may not uh, be the case. Shane Beamer says all indications Kevin Harris will be good to go week one. But, I mean, how many times have we heard a guy is going to be good to go and then he's limited out the gate? So certainly something to think about. And the way they're talking about it, it sounds like Marshawn Lloyd's going to have an increased workload. But while that's being thrown around, he's out not praising himself. He's praising Kevin Harris. It's a time for me to step up. You know, um, you know, Kevin Harris was the leading rusher in the SEC, and you know, you you, you can't you can't beat that. So uh, I feel like it's it's a time for me to step up, and it's a time for all of us. You know, Zaquandre, uh, Rashad Amos, uh, Juju McDowell. It's time for us to to step up. Um, I wouldn't say you know you uh, just go ahead and take a spot because that's not that's not how that works. Um, this guy you know was leading SEC rusher for a reason. So uh, you know we're definitely you know we're uplifting them at this time, but you know it's um. It's all, you know, we're, we're all going to compete for sure. All right, so I just thought uh, South Carolina fans would really appreciate those comments from Marshawn Lloyd. And then if you like those, you're going to love these because uh, Michael Vick, former Virginia Tech legend, of course, NFL Falcon, Philadelphia Eagle quarterback, uh, his connection there to Shane Bieber during their obviously strong connections there with Frank Beamer at Virginia Tech. He was in Columbia, spoke to the team, and I thought this was a really powerful message of, you know, I know some people never forgive Michael Vick for what he did, but and that's kind of part of his message here to the team. And he kind of hits on that during uh, this little speech he gave there in Columbia. The only person that's going to be able to get you out of it is you. When I threw those four interceptions in that game against the Cleveland Browns, week one, it's a game I'll never forget. The only person that could fix it was me. Grades dropped one year in school. The only person that could fix it was me. Did some horrific things. Ended up in prison. I'm sitting there and the only person who could fix it was me. But I like being in that situation. If I can go back and do it all over again, my life would be sweet. But you don't get second chances. Everybody don't get second chances. I'm very thankful. But it was all about me. I did look myself in the mirror and say, I, I got this, I can do this. And once I get myself back on even plane, I'm going to look at myself in the mirror and say, I got this, I can do this, still. Self-belief, take you a long way, man. All right, so how great was that? Really uh, powerful message there. And, uh, you know, that's one thing I do love about these fall camp. You know, it's not all about the position battles. A lot of it's about learning and, and bringing in speakers. I know many coaches do it, but uh, it's different when it's a guy that uh, you know, nearly won the Heisman Trophy, nearly led Virginia Tech to a national championship. We all know the money he made in the NFL, not just the money, but uh, you know how he excelled at that level on the cover of Madden. I mean, these are the guys you bring in, your players sit up and listen, because this is a guy that they want to be. This is a guy that uh, they grew up watching. And, uh, you know, if they're not going to listen to Michael Vick, they're probably not going to listen to anybody. So I just thought this was a great clip and a really great uh, interview for uh, Shane Beamer to land there in South Carolina. And it continues to work those Virginia Tech connections, which, hey, that's part of the package when you get Shane Beamer. So all credit to him for making this happen. All right, next, let's kick it down to Oxford. Auditorio, miss. Lane Kiffin met with the media for, uh, I believe, the first time since Ole Miss started camp. And interesting news here where, you know, a lot of people saw this coming. I certainly didn't this time last year. I was singing the praises of John Rice Plumley. I love watching that guy play. 
And it certainly sounds like, you know, not official that he's done at quarterback, but the way Kiffin says he's focused, his focus has moved to receiver. It's interesting that Kiffin notes that because he makes a good point. I mean, the guy's never really been a full-time receiver, and if he's splitting time in the quarterback room and a receiver, how much of a chance does that really give him to make an impact at that receiver role? Who knows? Maybe he's the next Elijah Moore, and he'll go to the NFL, you know, playing at that slot position. So uh, let's kick it over to Lane Kiffin, talking about John Rice Plumley working with the receivers exclusively to start camp here. Lane, it looked like this morning John Rice was taking a lot of reps at the slot, and mostly at the slot, not in a white quarterback jersey. What can you tell us about Kincaid Dent, Luke Altmaier right now, what you're looking for them throughout fall camp uh, to try to fill that number two quarterback spot? Yeah, Kincaid and Luke will be in a um, you know, really big competition for that spot, you know, knowing that John at times could go back there and, you know, but the focus is John playing a receiver because I don't think he can get really good at that doing both, having never done it before. So, you know, he's basically there, um, you know, full time for right now early in camp, see how we can develop him there. And that's really the only fair thing to do to him. If you go back and forth, it's just too, too hard at this level to get really good at it. All right, so interesting comments there from Kiffin. And then uh, the other one, you know, we all have heard it all offseason, and I've been guilty of it as, as well. You know, Ole Miss defense was so terrible last year, but a little bit of a corner was turned when Otis Reese got into the lineup. Of course, uh, the, the transfer from Georgia who had to sit out nearly the whole damn season for some reason, and it wasn't until he started <laughs> calling out the NCAA that, uh, you know, the wheels got in motion here that, that should have never been done. And thanks to uh, the, the one-time transfer waiver, you know, that we won't have to deal with that anymore. But once Otis Reese got in the lineup, really seemed to help Ole Miss uh, on defense, uh, especially, of course. And then uh, so Kiffin talks about getting Otis Reese for the entire season, having him in training camp, and also on the, the fact that, you know, the, the secondary – liability at time there's there's no way to get around that but they added a lot of good pieces here in the recent signing class and uh, kiffin sounds fired up about the depth that they're going to have at that position uh at any time i think of Ole miss secondary i hate to bring it up but i just think of that auburn game which uh, <laughs> refs may have blew that one for him but uh at the end of the day it was on the secondary to make a play there against seth williams and they didn't do it well I, that was a long year for him <clears throat> You know, obviously we were grateful when it happened, but um, you know, he went through a lot of ups and downs because it would look like it was close and it wouldn't happen. And so um, I was just happy that he stayed with it, did a such, such a great job on service team, but stayed in the game plan, you know, knowing that at any time it could happen. And I'm sure, you know, that was a struggle because it was so late in the season he still wasn't el eligible. So he did a good job getting thrown in there and now he's had a whole off season to really get comfortable and expect a really big season from him. Well, I think it is a good mix of some veteran players that return with a lot of young players. Um, they obviously all won't play this year, but um, eventually, you know, that's going to be a really deep group as those guys get older. So I think it's a really good mix. We do a lot of multiple things where there's a lot of DBs on the field at the same time. So I think there'll be a lot of opportunity for those guys to play and and, you know, play a number of different spots. All right, so Kiffin uh, 
doesn't get very enthusiastic during these pressers, but uh, that's about as enthusiastic as you're going to hear him talk about defenses. So I just thought Ole Miss fans would appreciate that. And that's what, you know, fingers crossed, that's what they're hoping for. Improve this defense. We're not looking for them to be gangbusters or anything on that side of the ball. Just be capable in SEC play. And Ole Miss is going to surprise a lot of people if that happens. All right, last update. Staying in the state of Mississippi. Let's jump on down to Starkville. Where Mike Leach, move away from the lawnmower, thank goodness. Uh, but <laughs> he provided the latest update on uh, the quarterback competition there and also on the offensive line, which, you know, I don't think it's tough to talk about uh, offensive line in depth on a podcast like this. But, you know, that was of all the issues that plagued Mississippi State last year, it was the offensive line. I mean, how many times did we see defenses drop eight, rush three, and three were beaten five? consistently at Mississippi State last year, which is inexcusable, uh, particularly when you got some talent on that offensive line like Charles Cross, who some people think may be one of the highest drafted tackles in the upcoming NFL draft. So certainly didn't showcase that last year, I didn't think. But uh, Mike Leach talks about the offensive line and how that unit is coming together. According to Coach Leach, I mean, pretty much everything's open here. Coach, you brought in a lot of competition in the quarterback room, bringing an incumbent starter back. How do you kind of characterize the quarterback competition? Is everybody chasing Will, or is it an open deal? I think it's an open deal. I mean, uh, I, I, I think it's an open deal. I think Will and uh, Chance are at the top, but uh, it's an open deal. When do you kind of, like, expect to see one of those guys start to separate themselves or is it a circumstantial type of deal with that? it's circumstantial but we need to push it uh you know uh you know we've got uh, uh quite a few more practices to do it but uh you know there'll come a time where um you know we have to make a decision and uh, uh split the reps different with the offensive line do you feel like they're pretty established so far with the five you want up there or is that still kind of open to, to moving around as the as fall camp rolls on I, I think most of it's open, you know, most of it's open and, you know, we're slowly becoming a tougher, grittier group and that needs to happen. All right. So <laughs> not much there from Coach Leach. He does, he's not giving away much this camp, but, uh, you know, it's interesting. I don't, you know, I don't know how much I believe him. We've been firmly in the uh, Will Rogers camp here. I still think that's the way. And particularly when, you know, he didn't even say Jack Abram is, is the one eyeing for number two there. I th So, you know, how much is uh, Will Rogers really getting tested? I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. But uh, I really thought uh, those comments were interesting on the offensive line because if we got to get this thing going, we know we got – at least I think they got the quarterback in Will Rogers. They've got two solid running backs. They've got several receivers that can get it done, and led by uh, Jaden Wally, of course, who may be the breakout candidate in all the SEC this year. They've got the weapons. They've got the pieces. But it's, none of that matters if you don't have an offensive line that can block three, not to mention four or five, six sometimes that's coming at you. So that's going to be critical. That's got to be worked out. And, you know, again, Mike Leach, I don't know how much you take away from his quarterback comments. So maybe you don't – maybe I'm reading too much into his offensive line comments. But that's something that I really have my eye on here uh, during camp at Starkville. And last thing from Coach Leach, this was just great. He was asked about – the uh, SEC media poll, Bulldogs finished last. I mean, it's almost like a tradition where some people, 
I guess they just don't follow Mississippi State or don't care. And it's just I think they start they start at the top right in Alabama. They start at the bottom right Mississippi State and work everything in between. That seems to way be the way the media poll goes at Hoover each year. So uh, Mike Leach was asked about that. I thought the, the classic classic Leach here. The uh, SEC uh, preseason media poll came out. Uh, a couple weeks ago and it predicted you guys to finish last in the SEC West. Do you kind of use that as bulletin board material or with, with your guys? Uh, I pretty well ignore it. I mean, I, uh, I, I don't ask those guys' opinion on anything else, so I'm probably not going to start with that. He don't give a damn. Don't ask questions like that. So I just thought that was great. Yeah, I thought I had to share that one. But, uh, hey, that's enough spieling from me. Uh, like I said, we've got an interview lined up here with Ben McKee of VolQuest and Swain Event. Uh, this is some really good stuff on the Tennessee fall camp. I think you guys are really going to appreciate this one. All right, we're pleased to be joined by uh, Ben McKee, co-host and producer of the outstanding Swain Event radio show there in Knoxville, and he covers Tennessee for VolQuest. He's a must-follow for every Tennessee fan out there, at Ben McKee 14 on Twitter. Ben, thanks for joining me, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, Mike, I appreciate you having me on. Hope you've been doing well. I have been, and uh, but not as well as you, my man. You're all over the, the airwaves. You're all over the beat. So I got to ask, do you have uh, time to anything else on your plate? Is there any chance that uh, you got any eligibility and you could play linebacker for the Vols this year? <laughs> uh, I, I guess I could find maybe a, a spare <laughs> year of eligibility uh, somewhere, but I don't know that Tennessee would, would want me. I'm, I'm doing good to – paint my new house and put flooring in and, and deal with that in the midst of a fall camp. So I don't, I don't know that, uh, Brian John Marie wants me playing in his, uh, in his linebacker room. I gotcha. Well, Hey, uh, if, if anybody's missed it, you got to check out uh, Ben's work over at ball quest. And, uh, one of my favorites is he, that he's put out here recently is just 11 storylines that he'd be watching heading into fall camp and no surprise. Number one on the list, the quarterback. So, I got to ask you, Ben, just based on what you've seen, I know it's early in camp, but uh, how are the quarterbacks looking for Tennessee? They're looking solid. Uh, I mean, I don't think you can take a, a definitive stance on anybody just yet. You see the potential in the room, but it still obviously remains a, a big question mark and will remain a big question mark and, until somebody takes the bull by the horns and uh, takes the job. Uh, Joe Milton is obviously the one that's generated – the most headlines throughout fall camp. And that's just because he's, he's so different than the rest. Tennessee sophomore receiver, Jimmy Callaway uh, said so himself when he met with the media last week, just speaking to his, his size and, and the type of a ball that he throws uh, in the words of Jimmy Callaway, it's, it's just different. And what he means by that is uh, Milton is, is a guy that's uh, obviously huge in stature, but, uh, has an even bigger arm, can throw it up to 80 yards in the air and uh, throws it with a lot of zip on the, on the, on his passes. So uh, Milton's obviously generated a bunch of headlines this fall camp because of his size and, and because he is newer than the rest of the bunch. But uh, uh, he's looked solid uh, through the first week or so of camp, and, and his biggest task right now, in my opinion, is just forming consistency. That's kind of what plagued him while he was at Michigan, just the, the inconsistency, uh, inaccuracy with his passes. But then the if he throws an incomplete pass, then he'll come back and just make an absolute beauty of a throw. So uh, he's a guy that 
can make all the throws and uh, has looked solid throughout the first week or so of, of camp. And uh, I would say Hendon Hooker's probably right behind Joe Milton. Uh, Hendon Hooker is uh, probably the most consistent of the bunch. At least he is, in my opinion, not a guy that's going to throw the ball 80 yards in the air uh, like a Joe Milton, but a, a guy that's just going to be steady Eddie and real solid and uh, just looks real poised and as he should. I mean, he's the guy in the bunch that's played the most football and done so at a pretty high level over at Virginia Tech and the ACC. And uh, you, you go turn on the Miami-Virginia Tech tape from last year and you can see him making some really nice plays against a, a really good Miami defense. So hookers looked good as well. I, I think a week in the camp, it's probably between those two, or I should say those two are out front. And I think Harrison Bailey uh, is a little bit behind, not out of the race by any means, uh, but I, I do think Bailey is, is running behind those guys. And uh, Bailey also struggling, not struggling, I should say, but working to be consistent along with Joe Milton, uh, just the, the ability to process information and the ability to push the ball down the field. But he, he's looked solid as well. And then I, I think Brian Maurer is definitely uh, fourth in line there. Now, what's your confidence level that uh, whichever quarterback it is, that uh, you know they're going to excel given Josh Heupel's track record and his offense? Because I think a lot of Tennessee fans, you know, and you can go the last couple of coaching staffs, it didn't seem like uh, the fans have much faith in the, in the coaches to make the right decision under center at many seasons now I'm thinking here. So what, what's your confidence level that in the, the quarterback that they do pick that uh, they'll make him very productive in this offense? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty confident. I mean, right now I have no reason not to be. Uh, we did assume that Jared Garantano was, was going to take a step forward when Jim Chaney was hired uh, because Jim Chaney had proven himself to be one of the, the better offensive coordinators in the SEC and in the country. So, uh, we assumed that JG would take a step. Obviously, that never happened. So you obviously take things with a grain of salt when when you kind of project uh, with, with any coach just because you, you know that it's not a guaranteed success just because there's somebody new in charge. But to this point in Josh Heupel's coaching career, he's given no reason to, to think otherwise. Uh, going back to his time at Missouri with Drew Locke, and uh, I, I know there's a lot of talk amongst UCF fans that UCF took a step back after Scott Frost left to take Nebraska, but uh, you're naturally going to take a step back when you go undefeated the year prior. Mm -hmm. And if you look at uh, a couple of different statistical categories, uh, UCF's offense got better under Josh Heupel, and the quarterbacks were improved under Josh Heupel, uh, Dylan Gabriel, that is. So uh, I'm I'm fairly confident. We'll, We'll see. The proof will obviously be in the pudding, but uh, between Joey Halsley, Tennessee's quarterback's coach, Alex Golish, the offensive coordinator, and, and Heupel, uh, I have a hard time that, A, that they would pick the wrong person, and B, that in this quarterback-friendly offense that uh, they're not going to get solid play at minimum. And based off quarterback play the last couple of years, uh, I think solid quarterback play would be a big step in the right direction. Now, one of the other uh, storylines you said you'd be watching is who will start at left tackle. And I know you met with uh, Glenn Ellerby, the offensive line coach, and a couple of the linemen there. And I know it's early, but uh, any indication on who that could be? Cade Mays, Dane Davis, anyone come to mind as Tennessee's potential uh, starting left tackle? 
Not not at the moment, and that storyline has become even more interesting since I wrote that piece heading into camp last week. Uh, going into camp, I thought the starter would prove to be Karon Calvert. Now, his name wasn't written in pen. He was going to have to go out there and earn it. But out of Calvert, Dane Davis, and Jeremiah Crawford, uh, a junior college signee that Tennessee recently brought in, I thought Calvert would prove to be the best out of those three. Calvert's a guy that has the talent and has the potential, but just hasn't been able to stay healthy during his time at Tennessee and has mainly dealt with knee injuries, but had that cleaned up over the offseason and was ready to go. And unfortunately for him, suffered a biceps injury that looks like it's going to keep him out for, for several months. It's not the entire season. So that obviously eliminates Calvert, Karon Calvert from the mix. And uh, the reason I say that that storyline has become even more interesting is because now it seems like they're they're trying to work Darnell right in at left tackle. I, I don't know if that that's a, a permanent move, but they're at least uh, mixing and, and matching and trying to test different options. And Darnell Wright, big five-star tackle coming into college, has primarily played right tackle, but has been getting a lot of work over at left tackle. So uh, that that opening has become real interesting because if you can slide Darnell Wright over from right tackle to left tackle, then you likely slide in Cade Mays at right tackle. Then you would have Jerome Carvin at left guard, Cooper Mays at center, and Javante Spragans at right guard. And that's likely Tennessee's best five offensive linemen, which is the goal for Glenn Ellerby and Alex Golish and Josh Heupel is to, to get the five best offensive linemen on the field. Another big question is Tennessee's pass rush. Who do you think uh, will, will lead this team in uh, sacks and quarterback hurries this year? Yeah, I think it's going to be Byron Young, the newcomer out of Georgia Military College. Uh, he's a guy that was very impressive in the spring um, and just a, a guy that has a, a great mindset going into the season. I think he's going to surprise a lot of people. And his his story is very deserving of success because he's a guy that came from JUCO but uh, did not have any scholarship offers coming out of high school and uh, saw a a flyer just kind of around his school for a junior college football tryout. And he went and tried out for the, for the Juco team and, and he made it. So uh, a really neat storyline that uh, truly epitomizes started from the bottom, as a lot of people <laughs> like to say, because Byron Young did start from the bottom. And uh, I think he's going to be one of Tennessee's best defenders this year. Again, he had a really, really nice spring. Uh, when he early enrolled Eid, and I think he'll start on, on one of the edges opposite of, of Tyler Barron uh, this fall, and I, I think he's going to be Tennessee's most consistent, most productive pass rusher. All right, one of the other storylines you had is uh, who will be Tennessee's number three receiver, but of course they know what they're getting in Valus Jones Jr. Jalen Hyatt was uh, at times spectacular last season as a freshman. Uh, who are the early front runners? do you think for Tennessee's number three receiver? Yeah, I think Jimmy Callaway is the first one that comes to mind. Uh, he's very impressive, uh, just really smooth out on the football field. I, I think it'll be Jimmy Callaway or uh, Javante Payton, the transfer from Mississippi State. I, I think it'll be one of those two guys. Uh, Valus Jones Jr. is definitely going to be the, the top guy in the room, uh, the most reliable guy. I, I think Valus is going to put himself in a position to be drafted, and then Jalen Hyatt has looked really good in camp so far, has a very uh, business-like approach, um, truly, truly treats every rep, every every practice, every day like it's, 
it's his only opportunity to make it to the NFL. And there's been a real business-like approach for Jalen Hyatt. So I think those two are going to really have uh, big years. And obviously the quarterback position will uh, depend on how big of a year uh, those two have. But if Joe Milton, Hendon Hooker, Harrison Bailey, if they can step up and really be good for Tennessee, then Jalen Hyatt and Bayless Jones, I mean, those those guys are going to light the world on fire this year. So uh, you, you're you're comfortable with your top two guys in the room. And I think Tennessee's fairly comfortable with its number three guy as well. Uh, I mentioned Jimmy Callaway uh, and Javante Payton, two speedsters, uh, two guys that have that can make plays, and, and I think that they will uh, make plays this season for Tennessee. Are there any other players that have stood out to you? Just uh, you know, maybe just caught your eye in camp that uh, that you've yet to mention. Um, you know, the the one is uh, Jalen Hyatt. I kind of just talked about him. He he's honestly been the one that's been most impressive um, so far in camp, uh, just because, as I mentioned, the the business like approach. But uh, in terms of somebody that I have not mentioned, I'd go to the defensive side of the ball and, and mention Warren Burrell. I think everybody thinks of. Alante Taylor as Tennessee's top corner, and I don't think people are wrong for doing that. But uh, I have a feeling, and I think Warren Burrell is really going to push Alante to to be Tennessee's top corner. I think Warren Burrell has been very impressive uh, over the first week or so, and uh, he's a guy that has starting experience and uh, started as a freshman and then lost his job when he got hurt. So uh, he's healthy, and, and he's looked he's looked very good through the first week or so of camp. He's a junior now. And you can tell that he has that uh, classic urgency that most upperclassmen have as they try to round out their career in a positive way and get to the league. So uh, Warren Burrell is a name that I have not mentioned that kind of first comes to mind when you ask me about guys who have stood out. Now, you uh, shared some comments here from Dane Davis today that went kind of viral of just, you know, the, the energy there at practice under Josh Heupel, completely different. Can you kind of rehash that for the listeners and, and is that something that you've seen that, uh, you know, it's not unique to Dane Davis, but maybe the players just uh, just uh, having more fun on the practice field? Absolutely. And Dane Davis was, was not shy in his comments about the, the, the difference in uh, the environment. And he was talking about practice specifically, but it's more than just practice. It's just everyday life in the football facility. It's, it's different. It's night and day different. Uh, and all of the players have spoken to that. Uh, not all of them. Not all of them have been as strong in their comments as as Dane Davis was today. And I loved how Dane Davis compared it to to Monday. How somebody like you and me, we go to work on Monday, dreading to go to work, and uh, that's what practice was like every day in the facility was like under the previous coaching staff. And now there's no more Monday. But there's no more Monday. Sorry. Uh, no more, no more Mondays. Everything is fun. Everything is a fun day uh, for for Tennessee football at the moment, and it's just a a polar opposite feeling within the football facility. And several of his teammates have uh, illustrated that throughout uh, the first week or so of camp when they've spoken with the media. But uh, Dane Davis definitely did not hold back and spoke to the last coaching staff and uh, just how they just zapped the energy out of everybody within the facility and. Um, again, so many players have alluded to it. Uh, there, there's no sense of entitlement uh, amongst the best players on the roster. That entitlement is gone. So uh, Dane Davis, very strong in his comments. And 
all of his teammates have have also echoed that uh, throughout the first week or so in camp. But that also goes back to spring. I mean, you heard those same type of comments back in spring practice, and uh, it, it's it's not talk. It, it's genuine. Genuine. There's a there's a different vibe in the building right now, and we'll see if it translates to wins on the field. But uh, the culture is definitely different uh, under Josh Heupel so far, and that's a huge step in the right direction. All right, last thing for you, Ben. I really appreciate all the time you've given me, but you know, there's there's always the diehards that uh, are are going to think Tennessee is going to do well no matter what. But I'm seeing you know quite a bit of negativity. Some some fans, I mean, maybe as we're getting closer to football, that's going away. But just this off season, a lot of Tennessee fans not that excited. Can you give us a reason for optimism? Throw out a, a thing or two that, that makes you think Tennessee can really overachieve this season in the SEC East. And I'm, I'm not saying win the division, obviously, but uh, you know, you're seeing some people have them as the sixth best team in the East, which I think is crazy. But uh, can you give us a, a reason for optimism heading into the season? Yeah, I, I think you don't look anywhere else other than the quarterback position. I know nobody's really asserted themselves just yet, but you have somebody other than the previous quarterback playing quarterback. I think that should be all the optimism in the world and kind of going hand in hand. You have somebody coaching the football team other than the last person who was coaching the football team. So I think uh, just a a change in personnel should excite people. And uh, I I don't really know what the the true definition of of Tennessee succeeding this season is for most people. Uh, In my mind, it's, you know, six or seven wins. And with this schedule, I think it's obtainable. Uh, typically, Tennessee's schedule always seems like it's the, the toughest in the country or, or one of the five toughest in the country. You, you've had to go to Oregon. You've had to open it up against the, the best West Virginia team in 20 years, it felt like. Uh, but th- this year is much different. You don't have to go to Oklahoma. Oklahoma doesn't come here. Uh, you play Pittsburgh week two, and I'm not chalking that up as a W for Tennessee, but uh, Josh Heupel in year one would, would much rather face Pittsburgh than uh, Butch Jones having to travel to Oregon year one or Jeremy Pruitt having to play West Virginia in Charlotte year one or uh, Oklahoma in year two. You you would much rather play Pittsburgh at home. So uh, you also don't draw you know a, a really tough uh, second team out of the West. You, you do play Ole Miss, and uh, that game will be difficult because you know Lane Kiffin and Matt Corral are going to be able to put up some points. But mm-hmm. Ole Miss's defense is still going to be trash. So uh, if Josh Heupel's offensive system is what it seems to be, then you should be able to put up points as well. And that's a home game. Uh, you're definitely capable of winning that game is, is what I'm getting at. So uh, the Pittsburgh game is winnable. Ole Miss game is winnable. And there are several others, South Carolina. Uh, Missouri, Kentucky will be challenging, but I think that's a game Tennessee could win. So um, the fact that there's new leadership, there's a new vibe, I think there's definitely a recipe for overachievement for Tennessee this season. All right, he's Ben McKee. Catch him every morning with uh, Jason Swain over at the Swain event and check out all his work at VolQuest. Really appreciate you, Ben. Uh, Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, Mike, really appreciate you having me. All right, so I just want to say thanks again to Ben McKee for joining the show and dropping some knowledge on Tennessee camp. Tennessee fans are dying to know what's going on up there on Rocky Top with uh, the new coaching staff and the quarterback battle and everything that goes with it. So uh, really good stuff from Ben. You've got to check out his work at VolQuest. Got to listen to the Swain event if you're not already. That's uh, not only one of the best shows in Knoxville covering the Vols, but one of the best shows in the entire SEC. So check out the Swain event, which plays every weekday morning 
there in Knoxville. All right, guys, that's going to do it for this episode. And, uh, you know, I apologize that the interview was not in video format. I mean, you would not believe how long this has taken me to do this stuff. Uh, I, the way I look at it, I'm like one of these players, man. I'm, I'm in camp right now. I got to get my, sh my ass in shape for the season and I'm working my tail off. I was up to 1 a.m. last night doing these video edits. So I'm going to keep doing it uh, until I, I can't do it anymore. And the response has been terrific. So I cannot thank each and every one of you enough. Again, check out us, check us out on YouTube. And if you haven't already, give us that five-star written review on the Apple Podcast app and share that with us at thatsecpodcast at gmail.com. And we'll send you a beer koozie of your choice just for doing that. But I really do appreciate each and every one of you, all the support. And Cousin Shane, he'll be back on the next one. At least that's the plan. So uh, maybe he'll have his camera hooked up by then. I wouldn't, don't hold your breath. But uh, maybe he will. <laughs> we'll find out together. But that's going to do it. Catch you on the next one.